Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. Merry Christmas, how's everybody doing? So here's the moral of the story. If you're going to do something crazy for Christmas, make sure your spouse is videoing you. Possibly we can use you for footage for next year. Um, One little thing quick too. How many of you were here last night? Or you've been here to the Saturday Night Lights, or you saw the concert last night. Wasn't it incredible? So it was brought to our attention that there are some people that have not been able to see the Saturday Night Lights yet because it's at night, and, and we got some people that can't drive at night, and you know who you are. So, you know, we thought about doing it earlier, but how many of you know the lights aren't as effective in the day, right? So they're planning a, a pickup list of those. If you'd like to come see the lights next week and you need a ride, uh, go see Jenna or see Robin and they'll get you put up on a list. So you can also experience holiday cheer, right? Cocoa, cookies, all that stuff. Um, before we get rolling, I, just, I feel like I need to say this again in, in, in uh, the service. I shared this in first service. Uh, as we were singing, especially toward that last song, um, I really sensed in my heart um, Sometimes we forget the authority that we have as believers. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 27. It says this. God has put all things under his feet, under his authority. Now, if you read the Greek there, that word all is panta, which means this. All. That means this. The big things are under his feet. The little things are under his feet. Now, let me tell you how authority works for the life of a believer. Some of you, when you pray, you pray like this for your situations. Lord, if you could help me, if, if you got time, I know Saturn's a big deal. If you can kind of break away from your schedule and maybe help me out. If you're feeling it, I know if you have a headache, that's fine. If you could help me out, that, that would be great. That is not praying with authority. Why do we struggle to pray with authority? You know why? There are sometimes we are not under his authority. What does it mean to be under his authority? You believe he is who he says he is, and you honor what he asks you to do. When you do that, we as believers walk in authority. Some of you have situations right now with your children, and you don't know what to do. You know what you do? You pray, and you pray to God with authority. you got to step out of yourself and be the person that God created you to be, a fully devoted follower of Christ. Some of you have situations that are out of your control. Beloved, it's time for us to to move out of our, oh dear Lord, here we go. Do not send me emails and letters. You got to get out of your own way. Some of you are so stuck in, your, in the way that you do stuff, you're doing stuff your way, you're not doing stuff God's way. Try it his way. His way always works. Our way does not. Everything has been put under his feet. That means this, you can walk in authority. God can shift things. He does two things in a situation. He either shifts the situation or he shifts you. That's all that can happen. So bow your head real quick. Some of you are here and you're dealing with impossible things. I got good news for you. God is in the impossible business. He loves to bring possible things into your impossible situations, but you have to do it his way. So whatever those things are right now, just give them to him. Know that God has placed everything under his feet and you are a son and a daughter of the King of Kings that we sang about. King Jesus. So, Father, right now, I pray that, Lord, you would help us to understand our authority and help us, Lord God, to step into this new realm 
of who you created us to be as believers, Lord God, that bring your kingdom to the planet. I pray that you would move us beyond our, our petty fears, our petty likes and dislikes, and Father, you'd move us into a life of purpose. We love you in your name. And everybody said, all right, it's good to see everybody. Um, I love Christmas. I'm a little tired. We got out of here about 1130 last night, but it was well worth it. Um, I love everything that it brings. And I think for the most part, for me, Christmas is always a reminder of the heart of God and uh, really what he wants to do in our life. So this whole month, we've been, we've been looking at, at different aspects of Christmas, Advent, if you will. Um, so tonight we're, you know, celebrating with millions of believers around, around the globe today, and we're talking about the subject of joy. Do you know that today you are linking with millions of believers on the planet? You are. Um, what is it about joy that for us is just unique? Have you ever noticed, we just watched a video about joy, and you and I took great pleasure in watching people fall off of things, fall onto things, hurt themselves in particular ways we never want to be hurt, and we giggled and we laughed. My favorite one is the guy who's got the chair on top of the table. There's a, if you ever, I watch it like 50 times, I laughed every time. There's a kid under the chair. We don't know what happened to that kid. Is he alive? We don't know. My favorite is this. If you listen closely, you can hear the mom in the background going, I think I heard a crack. And then, it, ah! what is it about those things that make us laugh? I remember a few years ago, we uh, I took all the kids, we were at the movie theater. And um, how many of you go to the movies to watch the movie? How many of you go to eat as much popcorn as you possibly can? You know, I usually get a big popcorn and I get a, a you know, Coke Zero. What are they up to now, like 96 ounces? But this is my problem. I love popcorn, which means this. Usually I will eat that first tub before the, pop, before the movie even starts. Anybody else like me? Because it's a free refill, right? You just get that thing done. So I had already eaten my popcorn, so I went out. And uh, the movie had not started yet. And I came back in. The theater was full. I, don't, I forget what we were seeing. And I don't know why, after all that buttery popcorn, you think my hands would have been fine. But my hands were a little dry. And as I walked in, I stepped weird. And the big tub of popcorn flew out of my hands. It didn't go to the right or left. Though. It went straight up in the air. Full theater. And I went to grab it. And instead of grabbing it, you can't grab a tub of popcorn with one hand. I'm not, you know, Michael Jordan. I can't do that. I just batted it. Like, like a kitten bat, you know, like it bat like a ball of yarn. And I batted it, and I batted it, and I batted it. Every time I hit it, trying to grab it, popcorn would fly to the left, fly to the right. It was in my hair. It was all over the place. By the time the carnage was over, the popcorn thing was on the ground, and, it was, and I was completely, I'm standing in front of everybody. I get this huge mess, and I hear this. And then the clapter, it, it, it carried like a symphony, and people started to laugh, and I heard people go, ah! I looked up, I grabbed my thing, and I put my head down, and I walked back out to fill it up again. <laughs> I'm all about the refills, baby, right? Now, isn't it funny, your calamity, your pain, and sometimes your awkward situations bring people joy, right? All of us have those childhood memories where something bad happened, and that bad thing brought your entire class joy, but it didn't bring you joy at all. It's crazy sometimes the things that we that we think of, that we see, they bring us joy. And it's interesting to think this. Not only is it nuts that we, we get joy sometimes in other people's pain, but it's hard for us to understand that sometimes we can even find joy in our darkest moments. Even when things look bad, even when things 
your, your life is filled with grief. God gives you joy. It's almost like the sun peeking through the clouds. I remember when my father passed away, um, it was weeks after, I was slowly going into his room and going through all the stuff. My dad was a great collector of things. I don't know if you consider yourself a pack rat. My dad had a PhD in pack ratting. To this point, I remember as I was cleaning out his room one day, I found he saved Chuck E. Cheese tokens. He put them in, glass, in those, those coin containers, and he kept them there. I, I don't know why. Have you ever been to Chuck E. Cheese? There's nothing there worth saving. I'm just going to say that right now. I remember one, one morning I was just going through his stuff, and, and I went through this, um, this journey of tears and joy. Tears and joy. You remember the man, you remember the stories, and then you think, man, Dad, you're not here more. Then you start to laugh because you remember their ways. Do you know what I'm talking about? How many of you know that joy is a complex emotion? It is. You can have a mixture of all these things. So for us, understanding Christmas... You know, part of us knowing that, you know, with Christmas, you know, came peace. With Christmas, you know, came love. With Christmas, you know, came all these things. One of those things was joy. And it's hard for us to think that God brought joy back to the planet in a dark time. I mean, we live in a dark time now, but understand how dark the time was 2,000 years ago. The world was harsh. It was cruel. The last time the prophets spoke were 700 years earlier. 700 years without the voice of God. They had the scriptures, but they were, they were hollow and dry. They were void of the Spirit. And then God comes on the scene and he does something remarkable with the birth of his son. And with that, we experience joy. What does that mean for us? It means this. Guys, even in the midst of darkness, sometimes joy is closer than you think it is. It's a whisper in your ear. You just got to get tuned to hear the whisper. And even when it's bad and it's nasty, God loves to show up in an unexpected way and to bring joy. If you got your Bibles, turn to Luke real quick. Luke chapter 2. The great Christmas story of joy. Luke 2 says this, starting at verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Isn't that a great phrase? I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Verse 11, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. So today we take another step in our journey to understanding what Christmas really is. Last week we looked at peace. And we looked at how God released peace on the planet through the angels. Peace on earth, goodwill to men that please God. We saw that peace is conditional. You don't just get peace for nothing. You have to follow God's plan to experience his peace. So today we take another step and we look at joy. How did the announcement of joy to the world affect us? And how can you and I realize, understand that joy, and how can you and I live in that joy even when things are tough, even in the midst of pain? Now, sometimes we think joy is a part of our environment, just like peace, but it's not. Joy is in any, joy is not an Audi. So how do we experience it? How do we embrace it? And how do we grow in joy through tough times? If you've got your Bibles, flip over to James chapter 1. We're going to live there today. You guys know me, so we're going to have like a billion scriptures today. I don't like to say anything unless I've got scriptures to back it up. 
James 1, verse 2, and most of you know this passage, but let it seep into your bones because today, again, if you give God the opportunity to shift the way you see things, he might surprise what he does in your Christian walk. Some of you have carried sorrow for too long. Some of you have carried brokenness and pain for too long. Today's a day of freedom. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Right? That's why he came, beloved. James 1, 2 says this, My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. Isn't that a weird, weird scripture? When you're facing difficulties, nothing but difficulties, nothing but tame, I got good news for you. We're going we're gonna to turn that around for joy. It's going to be great. Look at verse uh, 3. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there's nothing missing and nothing lacking. So here we have, beloved, the blueprint to experiencing joy even in dark times. It's a weird passage, isn't it? I mean, how is, it, how is it possible for you and I to experience joy, especially when your circumstances are less than ideal? Because we all know what to do when things are bad, right? What do we do? We complain. Do we have anybody in here that complains? Does anybody in here know somebody that complains? And is anybody in here married to somebody that complains? That's right. Marital counseling will be in the back when we get done. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. There's different levels to complaining. You have the amateur complainers that kind of complain, but they don't know what they're doing. And then you have professional complainers. Do we have any? He raised his hand. That's great. Do you have any? This is how you know if you're a professional complainer. You know, if you can suck other people into your dark black hole vortex of complaining, you're a complainer. Have you ever met anybody like that? I mean, your day's going fine. And then you run into Susie Q and everything's bad. Everything. You know, the sun's a little too bright. The sky is just a too blue. The food is too delicious. And by the time you leave, you're like, you're right, life does stink. This is just terrible. That, my friends, is a professional complainer. Give them the gold star, right? Um, have you ever noticed this too? Um, whenever you complain, you're complaining. It has to be like the worst possible situation ever. As if you're the only one that's ever had trouble ordering at McDonald's or had trouble at the bank teller station or at the Wawa. For example, uh, the other day, you guys know we got the Christmas tree sale going on. Last week, I'm working the Christmas tree sale. I'm standing there, and, and this lady pulls up, and she parks, and I could tell by the way she came in and by her very look, this was a professional complainer. I could tell. You, know, you, you can tell, right? She gets out of the car. She stands. She goes, Hah. and I thought to myself, I didn't know what her name was, but I could guess that it may have started with a K. Maybe. If that's your name, it's coincidental. It's just totally coincidental. And as she walked, she walked with purpose. The closest walk I can describe her walk was with maybe like, like Darth Vader. You know what I'm talking about? And you could hear like a da 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 And she made a beeline right for me. I was just there. I was the only one there. I was like by myself. <clears throat> so she came up to me. She goes, she goes are, you, are you here? Do you work at this tree sale? I said, yes. She goes, I'm here looking for a tree. I'm like, Behold. We have trees. She goes, well, how much are your trees? I said, well, if they're over six foot, they're 125, if they're six foot, they're... she goes, that's just crazy. 
Behold our trees. She goes, I just came from Gateway down here. Do you know what the trees are down there? They're double the price of your trees. Why are your trees so expensive? I said, we're, we're half the price. Why are you yelling at me? She goes, everything's crazy. She goes, what kind of trees do you have? I said, Christmas trees? I don't know what we have. I'm the B team. I'm plan B. Dave Appleby, he's the A team. I'm the B team. They're green pine Christmas trees. Fa la 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 la. Right? So she's angry and she's looking around. And she goes, Well, I'm going to look. I'm probably not going to buy anything because you guys are all crazy. I said, Okay. So she looked around and, and the more she walked amongst the trees, you would think the pine scent would like calm her down. It just, it fueled her rage. She came up fine. She goes, This is just, I don't know how people say. She goes, And the trees are expensive and food's expensive. She goes, And why is gas so high? I looked at her and I said, we have trees. I don't know. She got in her car and she drove away. If you're here, I'm sorry. It was a bad experience for me too. And after she left, I was like, it, the world is bad. You're right. These trees stink, you know, because how many of you know complaining can be contagious, right? So how do you see joy even in our world today when there's so many things to focus on that are bad. Because guys, i got to tell you this. If we as believers don't figure it out, it's not going to happen. Do you know that joy is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Joy is a spiritual fruit. That means this. The more of the Holy Spirit that you allow to move in your heart, the more that you give your life to the Spirit, the, the deeper work He does in you, the more joy you should experience. But it's almost like for us in the church today, the opposite is true. Seems like the holier you get, the less joy you experience because we're not allowed to do anything. We're not allowed to eat anything. We're not allowed to be anything. Beloved, that's just not the way it's supposed to be. So how do we, do we embrace this joy? How do we, do, we, do we become people of joy even in bad things? Well, there's three things that I think we get from this passage, a blueprint to show us. The first is this. You start with understanding your reality. Know your reality. Know what our reality is as people. Sometimes as people, and especially as believers, we think this. We think when bad things happen in life, it's a sign that God is not pleased with us. Now, thank God nobody in this room ever sees bad things happening to other people and go, hmm, if they were just a little better, their children would have turned out better. Hmm. You know, have you ever noticed, you know, us Christians, we don't gossip. You know what we do? We pray for people. Right? Lord, will you help them? You know those people, Lord God, that didn't know how to raise their children. Get them out of that hole that they dug themselves in. Help that person. You know, Lord, I saw them fighting in the parking lot, Lord. Hey, did you see Bill and Fred, you know, and, and, and they, were, they were getting duking out in the parking lot. Lord, will you help them? And we look at all these other people and we equate, or we equate to ourselves that trouble means that you're not, you're not in the middle of God's pleasure. It's hard for us to equate trouble with the work of God in our life. But understand this. God loves sometimes to use trouble and pain to get to places in us that he never could with just normal things. Well, why does God do that? You know why he does that? We don't listen. I would love it if we listened, but we don't. So God wants to do a deep work in our life. He does, and he uses pain sometimes. Know this. When it comes to trouble, 
all of us, all of mankind encounters trouble. We all encounter pain. Even believers, if you gave your heart to Christ and somebody told you that now once you give your heart to Christ, everything's going to be hunky-dory and your life's going to be a bowl of cherries, you were lied to. You know what I'd do? I'd find that person and I'd punch him right in the face. I would. You lied to me in Jesus' name and just punch him right in the face. Because it's not true. We all experience trials and troubles. Why? Troubles and brokenness are a part of our world. Have you ever wondered why you and I experience pain and trouble and brokenness? This is great. In 1908, the British newspaper, The Times, posted this simple question. What's wrong with the world today? This is the question that they posted. All of the people that answered, they had all these great answers, except there's one answer that stood above all the others. The great Christian thinker and writer G.K. Chesterton simply wrote this to what is the problem with our world? He wrote this, I am. I am what's wrong with the world. Now, what did Chesterton mean? What did he mean when he said this? He meant this. The problem with the brokenness in our world is inside of us. It's what we carry. We have a fancy word for it. You know what it's called? Sin. You're loaded with it. I'm loaded with it. It's sin. Well, how do we know that's the problem? The Scripture tells us. Romans 3.23 says this, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the problem with the world. It's sin. And sin lurks in every human heart. And the ultimate effect of sin is death. That's where it leads. And it's in all of us. And sin and death are the two fundamental problems with our world today. Sin is the source of every problem and every pain that you encounter. It is. It's inside of us. So what do we usually do when we encounter trouble and when we encounter pain? What is our usual first reaction? We blame it on somebody else. We point the finger to somebody else. Look at our world today. Whose fault is it? Well, it's the, it's the blue people's fault. No, 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 it's the red people's fault, right? Politically. No, no, it's their fault. No, it's not my fault, it's their fault. If they would just do things my way, and we always point outwards, we see other people as the problem. And sometimes, beloved, that's true. But sometimes we forget that there's no place that you can go in your life and not experience pain, loss, and brokenness, even in this church. We're a broken people. And that's okay. There is nobody in this room that is perfect. So do me a favor. Throw the image of the perfect family away because all it does is drive you bananas. It's just not true. Have you ever thought about this? Sometimes the pain you experience has been put onto you from others. And sometimes the pain you experience, you create it all by yourself. And sometimes you're the source of pain for somebody else. Do you know that in other people's stories, you may be the villain? The thing that you said, the thing that you didn't say, the thing that you did, the thing that you didn't do. Have you ever noticed that we have a tendency to judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions? I didn't mean to do that. That wasn't my heart. I get that, but it's still part of the problem. It's the thing that lives inside of us. 
So what is your reality when it comes to trouble? If you start out, and this is the premise of your reality, that trouble only comes to bad people, you need to shift your reality because this is what happens. If you, if you have the wrong reality, you're going to react the wrong way. Don't be surprised when bad things happen to us. That's the reality that we live in. Even Jesus spoke about this. John 16, these are the words of Jesus. He says, I've told you all this, that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. This is another one of those scriptures you'll never see on a Christian greeting card. Right? Happy birthday. Here in this world, you'll have trials and sorrows. Be warm and well fed. Right? Why did Jesus say this? To prepare us, to let us know. He said, but take heart because I have overcome the world. When we understand the reality of our situation, it prepares us better for what we're facing. Don't be taken by surprise. Now, we don't look cynically into the world either and wait for the other shoe to drop, but we're not surprised when it comes. I remember a few years ago, I was at a, um, a leadership conference, and Chuck Colson was speaking there. I don't know if you guys know who Chuck Colson is. He's one of our old, man, old field generals, man, in, in the kingdom. Chuck was, was up there in years at that time, and he was talking about how he stayed fit, and he would swim like 18 laps a day to stay fit. So I'm sitting there, and one of the other associate guys at our church in Illinois I thought, man, you know, Chuck looks pretty fit for his age. If he's swimming 18 laps a day, maybe we should swim. Maybe that would get us in shape. So I'm thinking Chuck's like 150, so, you know, he's old. Um, so if he swims like 18, we should be able to swim 10 or 12 right out of the gate. Now, I'm not a big swimmer. At that point, I wasn't a big swimmer at all. I, I swam more like a, um, a brick. You know, any fellow brick swimmers here? All right, let's reunite at the bottom of the pool, right? <laughs> So I remember the next day, me and Jerry, we decided we were going to go to our, we both belonged to our local little club, the little Y in our town, and we decided we were going to meet there and we were going to go swimming in the morning. So I had my bathing suit, he had his bathing suit. We're there. The lifeguard there is like 12 years old and she's like, a, like 78 pounds. What, I, what are they going to do if I go into the pool? Help! Help! I mean, what are they going to do? You can't, you know, drag me out of the pool. So I don't know what to expect. So I thought to myself, if we get like maybe 12 or 14 laps and that'll be great. So a lap is up and back. I learned that that day too. So I get in the pool, Jerry gets in the pool, and there was one other lady next to me, she was an older lady in the pool, and we just started to swim. And I thought, this is going to be great. And it was fantastic for the first 10 seconds. And then I realized, I mean, I've been swimming for a long time, it's been 10 seconds, and I popped my head up to see where I was at, and I wasn't even like halfway to like the first side of the pool. And I thought to myself, I don't think I'm going to make it. And I look over, and you know, the girl that's supposed to be on high alerts talking to a boy, and I'm, a don I'm done, I'm dead. So as I'm swimming, I, it takes everything within me just to get to the side of the pool. And I get to the side of the pool, and I hang on for dear life. And I look to find my, my friend Jerry, and Jerry's doing the dead man float on his back. <laughs> because we both overshot our understanding of what it means to swim in this pool. So I was able to swim back, and I got about halfway through the next thing. And I look up for Jerry, and Jerry's sitting in the hot tub next to the pool. And I thought, this is probably a good idea. So I drag my carcass out of the pool. I sit in the hot tub, and I'm like, Jerry, what happened? He goes, I don't know, Chuck made it sound so easy. And we sat there and watched the little old lady swim back and forth, back and forth. Back. But here, here's the, 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 you know, the reality of the story. She got out of the pool. She was wearing flippers. You know what we call that? A cheater face. Now, this is what that day did for me. It reframed my reality and my understanding of what it meant to swim. So that meant that next week, I set a different goal. My goal was first, not to die, and second, I thought if I could get like four laps in, that would be a good day. 
And that first day, I think I did like maybe three. And then the next week, I did four. And then the next week, I did six. Now, swimming is a part of my normal workout, and I usually swim, I don't know, between 22 and 24 laps every time I swim. Do you know what changed? The way I saw it. My reality. I was able to change my strategies because I had a proper reality of what it meant to swim. I had a proper understanding of what to expect. Now, beloved, when it comes to trouble and pain, we don't look for bad things to happen, but we're not taken by surprise when they do. And when bad things happen, stop just blaming yourself for decisions and stop blaming everybody else. You can't change the troubles that come, but you can control one thing, how you respond. So the first is this, understand the reality of where you are. Troubles come. The second is this, control your response. How you respond to adversity, how you respond to pain, how you respond to trials is up to you. That's totally in your hands. Look at the passage. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. How many of you know that when you endure something, it's a choice? When something bad happens, you have a choice. You can either quit or push through it. Now, I know that there's no quitters in here. TCC has no quitters, baby. That means this. You've got to endure it. You've got to suck it up, buttercup, and get it done. That's what we have to do. Endurance is a choice. Responding the proper way to trouble is a huge part of being a believer. It's a huge part of being a, a fully devoted follower of Christ. That means this, you can choose to respond the right way with love, with grace, and even experience joy in the midst of pain and uncertainty. You can. It's a choice. How do you do it? You can do it when you know that the trouble in your lives, it serves a greater purpose. You can do it when you understand this. Pain and trouble are temporary. God can use any of those things to help us to become who he wants us to be. In fact, trouble gives God an opportunity to not just form what he wants to inside of you, but trouble and weakness and pain also gives God the opportunity to display his love, his power, and his presence through you for others. If you trust him with those things, God's power is displayed the greatest when you and I are at our weakest. When we have no other place to go, that's when God's power is displayed. You cannot experience a miracle without a problem. Problems are the doors to miracles. What do we pray all the time? We want to be a church of miracles. We want to be a church that experiences miracles. You know what that means? All the broken are coming, all the sick are coming. All those marriages, they're all coming. Why? We've been praying for that. You've got to be careful what you pray for. I don't pray dumb anymore. I never pray for patience. <laughs> if I'm praying for patience and you see me at the Zingos, do not get behind me in line. We're going to be there for three days. I try to outsmart God with my prayers. Lord, whatever you do, do not send me to Hawaii. Any place but Hawaii. I hate sunshine and blue water and sand. God knows. You know, to Greenland you go. Ah! Right? Be careful what you pray for. God loves to display his power through our weakness. And none of us like to be weak. Which puts us in a really weird position. 
It's okay to be weak. It's okay to not have all your stuff together. It's okay to allow God's power to be displayed through you. He loves it. You know why? Because then we don't get the glory. He does. I remember years ago, I was in Brooksville, Florida. And uh, I was young, dumb. I, don't, I was a youth pastor. I was 22 years old. I would never trust a kid with me, but a lot of parents did. Don't know why. We didn't lose any of them. Don't know why. And I was in our chapel. In our chapel, we had a 12-foot full grand piano. Not a baby grand, a full band. Have you ever seen a full grand piano? Sounded ridiculous. And, it, and I was in there just putzing around doing stuff, and I needed to move it. So I thought, I'll just get behind it, and I'll just give it a shove off the wall, and I'll just move it over a foot. Uh, I still remember the day. I got behind there, and I went to push it, and I didn't realize how heavy it was. The one leg that was holding it up at the end buckled, and I pulled it back because I thought it was going to fall over, and it did fall over, except it fell over on me. And, and it pinned me against the wall. Now, this is before the cell phones, before all the other stuff. And I remember I was sitting underneath this piano, and I could see, my head I could see, and the doors were shut, and there was a window in the doors, and our, our uh, custodian, Bob, Bob was like 112, he was there, he had big headphones on, and he was vacuuming outside doing like this. And I'm screaming, Bob, 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 and he's doing this. And I thought to myself, I'm probably going to die here. My biggest fear was, was not that I was going to be crushed to death. It wasn't that things were going to be broken. It was, I will not be able to get to food. Because no Greek wants to starve to death. I started thinking, I wonder if there's any errant communion elements around here that I could grab. And I sat there. It felt like forever. But Bob finally came in to vacuum and he saw me. The piano was so heavy, they had to get a couple guys to lift it off of me. Now, obviously, I'm fine. I'm here today. It's kind of freaky to be stuck in such a place where you can't do anything and you're completely dependent on somebody else. You know what that is? That's weakness. God loves to show up when we're in our weakest situations. Don't ever forget that it's weakness that moves the hand of God. It's weakness that calls him to action to where he loves to act. Again, you can't have a miracle not having a problem. I remember when I first got here I started to get to know Michael Pereskevich, and he told me a beautiful story. And some of you know Michael, and you know his story. He's a young guy, and he's diagnosed with cancer. And as he told me the story, I was like, I said, Michael, I said, what did you, what went through your mind when the doctor told you you had cancer? He said, I was so excited. I said, what do you mean you were excited? He says, I just saw it as an opportunity for God to show up. He said, man, he says, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, he says, but you're going to do it. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be the greatest thing ever. You know what that is? joy in the midst of trouble how can you have joy like that how can you have a response like that you can have a response like that when you understand and you really know what the god you serve can do you know what he, what he can do it gives you the strength to look beyond all of the pain and all the fear romans 12 12 says this rejoice in hope be patient in tribulation be constant in prayer 1 John 5, 4 says this, for every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. How can we respond with joy when bad things happen? Through the eyes of faith. What you see, how you see, through the eyes of faith. Knowing that the God you serve can do anything. Even when things look bad, he's still sovereign and everything is under his feet. This is one of my most favorite verses in the whole Bible. Psalm 37, 5 says this, commit everything you do to the Lord, trust him, and he'll help you. 
That means this. When you go all in with God, he goes all in with you. What does that mean for us? It means this. Even in the face of things like cancer and things, you've got one of two paths. God shows up miraculously and he heals you. Or God says, son, daughter, it's time to come home. Either way, you win. You win. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's nothing that you're facing right now that God can't handle. But you have to be all in with him. Commit everything to him. Trust him and he will act. Pause for a second. Just shut your eyes for a second. Some of you are here today and you've been struggling with things. And I want to encourage you. You kind of got a foot in one world and a foot in another world. Go all in with God and see what he'll do. God will never let you down. He'll never disappoint you. But you've got to take the step. You have to take the step of faith. Faith activates the promise. It activates the miracle. You have to trust him. So right now, whatever that thing is, just talk to the Holy Spirit. He speaks to you just like he speaks to me. Say, God, Holy Spirit, show me. Show me how to step in to be all in with you. And listen to what he tells you. All right, let's keep going. We're almost done. Remember this too, beloved. When you step in and God responds fully with you, um, and you do what he asks you to do when you face trouble, it's not just for you to experience the blessing that God brings. Do you know that it's also for others that watch you? Do you know that your lives are constantly observed by people? They're watching how you react to things. They're watching the things that you say or listening to the things that you say. They're watching the things that you do. I want to encourage you. Respond well. And in those times that you don't, take a deep breath, dust yourself off, Ask God to forgive you and try again. Don't you dare quit. Don't you dare quit. Sometimes, as people watch us respond to our failures, that's an even greater message that God sends on how we do those things. So let's, let's put a bow in this. How can we respond to trouble and pain in our lives with joy? First, we know the reality of our lives. We understand that troubles will come. Second, we have the proper response. We respond the way that Jesus would when things happen. You could, if you're the proper response, you could do anything. Third, when that happens, God starts to release his perfection in us. What does that mean? That word perfection in the Greek actually means completion. That means that God begins to complete the work in our lives. Look at the passage. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. <coughs> And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it'll release perfection into every part of your being until there's nothing missing and nothing lacking. You can see the true maturity in the life of a believer by how they respond to adversity. The sign of maturity. If you freak out every time trouble comes, if you freak out every time you don't get your way, if you freak out and your faith is so shallow that every bump you hit derails you, you're not as mature as you think you are. You're not. you got to get in, you got to dig closer to God. Because mature believers, they don't act that way. How you respond to trouble reveals what's going on deep inside of you. 
Let's just be real. You never know the work that God's doing in your life until you hit trouble. Trouble is a great revealer, a revealer. It's, you know, we talk about this all the time. You know, trouble pressurizes the pipes in your life. And then if you see leaks, that's a, a sign for you for God to say, hey, you're doing great over here, but we've got to work on these other areas here. We are constantly growing. We have a big Christian word for that. You know what it's called? Sanctification. That just means real simply, you are becoming like Jesus. And we have this simple belief about sanctification. You don't become completely sanctified until the last day you take your breath here on the planet. That means you're always working, baby. None of us have ever made it or achieved it. You will someday when you die. So when you face trouble, here's the reality. You really only have two types of responses. You can only go one of two different ways. You can either respond through fear, or you can respond through faith. Now, the key element under both of those is trust. When you're led by fear... Trouble and pain overwhelm you, and trouble and pain have one goal, to destroy your life. Some of you deal with fear, and you never get victory over fear. Do you know why? Fear is a fruit. Fear is not the source. Did you ever think about that? It's not the source. i got to get through this fear. I can't get through this fear. It's not the source. Do you know what the fear, what the, you know what the source of fear is? Unbelief. Doubt is the root of fear. When you're afraid, you're saying this, God, you are not enough. When you're afraid, you're saying this, God, I know you care for everybody. You know, there's not enough in you. There's not enough power. You don't like me enough. It's doubt, 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 doubt. You deal with the doubt and the fear goes away. It's a fruit. You deal with it. So some of you respond to your situations with fear. What's the other one? Well, the other response you have is, is faith. What is faith? Faith is understanding that when things look bad. Things smell bad. Things aren't the way you thought they would be. The eyes of faith says, even though they don't look good, I still trust that God's in control. He has put everything under his feet. Somehow, some way, he'll work this out. Michael Paraskevich, I can't wait to see what God's going to do with cancer. That's bananas. You know what that is? Faith. It's faith. I experienced the same thing with my mother. My mother, I got the call three times when my mother was dying. Hop on a plane, get back to see mom, only to wake up and she's playing Yahtzee. Mom, what are you doing? They told me the cancer finally got, she said, I remember she said this last time, she goes, sweetheart, you need to understand this. Cancer is not going to kill me. I'm not going to die from cancer. And you know what? When she died, she didn't die from cancer. That woman, oh, that woman. You know what else she didn't do? She didn't live in fear over the shadow of cancer. You know Why? She believed the God she served was sovereign. He was going to take care of all things. So you know what she did? When you turn fear into faith, she was able to, to use cancer and speak to others that faced cancer and those fears and speak directly to them. How many of you know that God gives you authority over things that he gives you power to defeat? Those of you that battled addiction, when God gives you victory in addiction, he gives you an authority to set captives free this is why you don't shut your mouths you open your mouths and you proclaim freedom to the captives anything that god is victorious in and through you that's a weapon in your hands to set captives free because you see things in a way that other people don't see them my mother i can't tell you how many people when she passed away finally how many cards and letters i got from people that battled cancer and said your mother was a light your mother was an inspiration on and on and on the list went because it did she wasn't afraid of it she knew her God could, could do anything. 
whether that was taking her home or healing her. It's a beautiful thing. When you have a posture of faith, you can respond to anything with joy. Anything. Because joy becomes more than an emotion for us. It becomes a work of the Spirit that's deep inside of us. And that work of the Spirit fuels us to accomplish anything, the impossible. This means that even in your worst situations, you can respond like Jesus. And you can have joy. Why? Because you believe with all of your heart, God is working things out. Even when we don't understand it, He is still working. Even when you don't see that He's working, like the song says, He's working. Romans 8.28 puts it this way. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purposes for them. Do you know that even Jesus, faced with His mission, the ultimate pain, death on the cross, viewed the cross through the lens of joy. He found joy even, even in the cross. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now look at verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. What gave him the fuel when he was nailed to a cross to look down at his accusers and say, forgive them, Lord, they don't know what they're doing? Joy. What gave him the fuel to take every lash that he did before they nailed him to that tree? He could have just in a word said, God, I'm done, this is crazy, kill them all, and God would have sent every angel in heaven to wipe out humanity. But he didn't do it. What gave him the endurance to be able to not call on all those angels? Joy. The joy of knowing that when he accomplished his mission, what that meant to you and what that meant to me. That's ridiculous. But that's what he had. And not only did Jesus possess that, but he passed that along to us. That joy. In a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. And we're going to remember the work that Christ did. But before that, I want you to just take a minute. I want you to ask yourself this question. Is that type of joy evident and flowing in your life? As believers... We need to be people of joy. And I'm not talking about a, a fake joy. I'm talking about joy that exists. Joy that burns in the deepest, darkest sorrow and pain. Bow your heads with me. I just want you to have one more conversation with the Holy Spirit before Chip comes. And just talk to the Holy Spirit. Ask him, say, Holy Spirit, is your joy evident in my life? Is it running at full power? Or do I need to experience you, know you in a different way so that I can be a man or a woman of joy? And listen to what the Holy Spirit tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or 
follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.